And welcome, everybody. I am Zach Miller, Tearsheets Editor-in-Chief. Joining me today is Nick Babinski, Chief Product Officer at Solutions by Text. We're going to be talking about the state of bill pay, digital payment trends, and growing demand for text. Um, we're doing it in this LinkedIn Live, the Tearsheet Live format. It's an experiment we're doing. Uh, let us know if this is something that resonates with you. But uh, the idea is to bring the same great conversations that we've been doing for years um, in our studio to bring them live and, and you know, to, 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 to enable conversations, collaboration um, with you guys as well. So I appreciate you uh, tuning in. And Nick, I appreciate you joining us today. Zach, thanks so much for having me. And, uh, you know, in the theme of experimentation, I'm a product guy, so I love it. So glad to be uh, kind of trailblazing. With we're building in public. Doing. That's what we're doing. Love we're it. Building That's in public. Best, the best way to build. Real-time feedback, right? Exactly. Um, so, so let's talk about, I mean, I think one, one of the things that caught my eye was some of the recent research that you guys put out, um, this, this state of bill pay, really. Like, can you talk about maybe some of the findings there and we can use that as a, maybe a lens to, to move into the conversation? Yeah, absolutely. So I think what we're finding, maybe the biggest surprise for me in all of the research that we did with, with uh, Dados, uh, a great research uh, firm that many in the financial services space know well, um, especially since their time as ITAKE group. Um, one of the biggest takeaways for me was the fact that the majority of consumers are still paying bills on a one-time basis. So not necessarily setting up auto pay, doing the set it and forget it. They're still every month or every billing cycle uh, taking the, the time uh, to go out, look at the balance, do the bill and make a payment. And so that just creates all sorts of implications for us in the provider space, uh, in the banking space, FinTech and so on as to how do we support consumers who do take on so much responsibility every month to pay all these household bills and do so in a way that isn't set it and forget it. They're managing their time still. This is like the other end of the spectrum from setting and forget it, right? These are it, totally, totally. Even if even if you're doing these every month, it's still it's still one time. It's an action that stands on itself, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so I think what we saw is, you know, in terms of delinquencies and, and missed payments, a lot of that is driven by folks just forgetting. And that makes sense, right? Because our lives are so busy. Uh, these days and there's so much noise in terms of you know technology and responsibilities and uh if we if we are seeing that consumers must remember to pay you know their dozens of household bills uh, each month we need to be thinking about how to remind them and how to make it as seamless and as simple of a process as possible that makes a lot of sense and, and nick why do you and i know let's talk about your background um i know you've primarily been in b2b and this is a this is an, an interesting evolution for you but Given the fact that we've spent so much time and energy building the the recurring payments infrastructure and experience, why are these people not using that? Why do they choose to make these payments like one time? I guess maybe set the stage for us. Yeah. So in terms of my background, I've spent the last 15 years, really the majority of my career in the bill pay space, um, you know, started off early on in B2C. So thinking about utility bill pay, municipalities, uh, collecting tax bills, water bills, power bills. Fun stuff, all the fun, fun stuff. Fun stuff, yes. Yeah. And tax, let me assure you, tax collectors don't necessarily <laughs> care about innovating in the consumer bill space, right. bill pay space as much. But uh, yeah, and spent uh, a great decade plus at Bill Trust, uh, thinking about how to pioneer uh, B2B billing and making it easy for mid-market mid and enterprise businesses to, to get paid uh, by their business customers. And uh, really all of my time, focused on what are the applications, what are the products that we can build to facilitate a better bill pay experience. And over the last couple of years, I became enamored with text, right? Because when you think about text messaging, it's pretty ubiquitous. Everyone texts, 96% of Americans text once per day, 
right? And it's a pretty normalized experience. You know what to expect when you open up your texting client. And so when I started thinking about my career and where, what I wanted to be building, simplicity and ubiquity and wide-scale adoption were some of the traits that I was looking for and solutions by text and texting uh, and thinking about the bill pay experience over text is really what enamored me because I don't, I can't think of an experience more simplistic than you know receiving the reminder, hey Nick, you owe your car payment of three hundred dollars this month, whatever it may be, you know, respond pay to complete the transaction. And so that really has attracted me to you know coming back to B two C, the consumer bill pay space, if you will, and thinking about how to pioneer and how do we really scale up um, what I think could be most simplest form and fashion of transacting with billers. You know, I think it was Mark Twain that said, like, I would have written you a shorter letter, but that would have taken longer. Um, taken longer so, yes. Yeah. So creating simplicity requires, you know, thought and, and, and really good product design. Like, what do you think the role of two-way text communication is, and is in, in, in enabling people to get over the hump of these one-time payments or reducing late payments? Yeah. So I think in general, um, text allows you to create and cater to consumers how they want to be transacted with and interacted with you may have consumers who are paying off debt who maybe want very little interaction and they want the simplest fastest path to resolving that you know that balance right you may have other consumers who are very confused about a balance and they want to ask a lot of questions and giving them that ability to do it 24 7 uh, or text when they're sitting on the couch and they have their phone and they get a reminder that says hey you owe this payment and they want to get some more information about that how do you serve up that experience in a fast fashion, right? A fast fashion isn't making them call a 1-800 number. A fast fashion is not making them log into a website and create a set of credentials or remember a set of credentials that are different from their other 20 billers, right? Fast fashion isn't making them download an app that they have to navigate and figure out a store, new payment credentials into that. Um, those are all barriers to getting the job done. If the job done is, is getting a payment made and a consumer in and out, which is really what they want to do, spending the least amount of time as possible paying a bill. Um, that's why I've got a lot of conviction around text being being that simplistic uh, and that the responsibility that we have to, to drive those. So that could, those could be automated exchanges over text. Those could be, you know, Zach Miller texts a number on a bill instead of calling into an IVR system and Zach saying, I got a question, can you send me a copy of that? Enabling uh, NMS to uh, present a bill back over text without having to log in uh, to anything. Um, it could be you and I exchanging uh, an agent with an agent at a utility company or another biller um, who's live responding to questions or, or a robot. So there's so many, believe it or not, experiences that you can power over text, um, whether it's two-way, one-way, MS, SMS, you name it. But that's that's what we're thinking about every day when we wake up. I could have used you guys this morning. I actually paid uh, municipality taxes, monthly taxes. I just moved recently and I got a bill and a PDF, no link. Um, I had, was forced to call in um, and it wasn't an IVR. I had to wait for somebody to answer the phone and they asked for uh, some number that didn't appear on the PDF. So I'm fumbling on my phone, looking at the PDF, trying to call them, didn't, couldn't find the number at the end. And ultimately whatever it was, it, it, it was not, it was not a smooth uh, and automated experience, of course, though I could have paid. There was no, there was no, there was no barrier on my, on my end as a consumer that stood in my way of paying. Um, what about on the institutional side? Like what's, what's some of the friction that maybe an FI would have like when integrating more automated processes for online payments? Yeah, well, I think, it, you know, uh, for FIs, um, even large, large billers for years, you know, we've thought about the traditional barriers 
being, you know, how do I integrate with my systems of record? Uh, what are my online platforms I'm hosting? What's currently on our roadmap? And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, we're still seeing the industry strive. And you saw from the research with, with Dados is that, you know, bill pay portals, bill or direct is still the predominant channel by which consumers pay, um, which I think will change over time. But I think there's a lot of um, capacity and focus spent on, you know, building out these rich experiences online, which are, you know, kind of stand in the way of, of achieving some more simplicity when it comes to consumer interactions and transactions. So I think it's the, the multitude of channels would be the most concise way I would, I would respond back to that question, Zach, is the multitude of channels and the responsibilities FIs feel in terms of supporting all these different channels that consumers may come through. Um, but at the end of the day, when you see that 66% of consumers would interact over text, and that number increases to 88% when looking at the younger generations, um, I, I do believe, and this is a bit biased uh, in my response, but text needs to take more uh, of a front and center um, focus for you know technology roadmaps, product roadmaps, and just overall consumer experience roadmaps that FIs and other businesses have because of the propensity of consumers to pay and engage over text versus you know, what we're seeing is a lot of app fatigue, right? We're seeing yeah. a lot of fatigue among consumers. I'm there. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm throwing um, all away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, in, you know, in different parts of the world, we hear about things like super apps, and maybe super apps will continue to emerge and, and, and intermediate what, you know, uh, bank aggregators once sought out to do in terms of owning, you know, all the consumer payment experience in one bank bill pay experience. Maybe super apps will supplant that, that vision, that opportunity. Um, but if you don't have to, again, force a consumer to log into an app or a website or call in and you can meet them where they live, which is on their damn mobile device, um, which I'm guilty of it. I'm on it a ton each day. Um, that's a winning strategy in, in our opinion. Yeah. And it's almost like the simplicity that you're talking about runs counter to some of the trends that we've seen in the industry building, as you said, these rich experiences, login experiences. Um, this we're talking about removing all that, right? And like just that's for one type of experience. And I think you, that experience matters. As, and I think that's part of the interest around embedded finance, right? It's like banking is not somewhere I need to go to. It's, it embeds in the things that I'm already spending my time in. I'm spending time on my phone, send me a message. So I just need to take care of this, right? And I don't, all the other stuff is a distraction. In fact, I get lost in the app sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's a, there's a natural fear of change, right? With, if our strategy for so long has been build the most damn compelling, engaging, front end for consumers to spend time in, right? And now we're saying the opposite, which is if, if consumers- It's like deconstructing all that, yeah. It is, it very much is. And, you know, you think about, let's take Amazon, right? Amazon's a fun, uh, you know, example to use where Amazon doesn't necessarily think about how to keep you on their website for the maximum amount of time. They think about how to direct you to the products that are most attractive to you and get you to do what? Pay. Right? right. And in fact, now we're seeing them do things to move you off their interface, like subscribe and save. Right. I've got four kids. We run through quite a bit of uh, toiletries in our house. And if I can subscribe and save, I'm not going on Amazon every month to remember to you know, order from them. It's just happening. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if, if banks or billers can enable similar behaviors where things are just happening, money is money is moving into my account. Right. Our balances are being paid and it's just happening. That to me is, is success. And you, and you don't necessarily lose promotional opportunities. Right. Because again, if you're then promoting new products and services or prompting consumers to do other things over text, they're probably more likely to read that text than they are going to open up their mail or even open up an email when 
you got email clients now filtering out noise for you into different folders and things like that. So, I mean, deconstructing, I like the way you put it, Zach, deconstructing that, that front end experience, I think ha- presents a lot of opportunity to businesses and banks out there. I, I think I hear you say, Nick, I also think like we're in an era of that overwhelm that you're describing. It's like, I'll go on to Amazon to go buy something and end up leaving for who knows why, like my attention span wasn't long enough. The price wasn't right, but I leave. And it's typically that email, the alert that comes afterwards saying, Hey, did you check this out that I do make the transaction on? So that that's very similar. I think there's, there's a parallel to, to what you're talking about here. Um, one of the things we've discussed on the podcast um, is this multi-year trend where banks from some perspective lost out as people gave their credit cards to, 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 to merchants, they lost out on that billing experience. Right. And so mm-hmm. take trying to go back after that billing experience is, is they left a lot of business on the table, I guess, during this time period, do, do banks recognize it or how hungry are they to, to get um, the billing experience back onto their platforms? Oh, I think at the end of the day, the, the most fundamental concern that I've been exposed to is the bank wants a consumer relationship and wants the, mm-hmm. the majority of the, the wallet share, if you will, right? And so if consumers are starting to get credit cards issued from their airline or from an Amazon or other types of retailers, or you think about um, how they're paying for things, right? If I'm starting to, to pay more through Venmo or Apple Pay, how do you embed your banking product or experience into those preferred consumer not necessarily channels, but platforms, applications, mm-hmm. right? I think that's where I'm starting to see the shift concern, uh, the shift of concern of, of, of the institutions, at least, is how do we make sure that we're being more flexible? And you're seeing that with, you know, open banking has been slow to take off, but you've seen some creative banking partnerships, investments, and even products launched to make um, your bank account, your bank credit card more accessible through some of these other platforms. And so that's one of the things that we think about when talking with banks is, you know, how do we make it as easy as possible for, for Zach when he goes to pay that bill through text to use his XYZ bank account versus, you know, another product, right? That's a little less accessible. How personalized are these, um, would you suggest these types of messages be um, in terms of creating, a, you know, that, that type of relationship, the customer biller relationship? How, how, other than just, you know, here's, you're late on this bill, here's the link. Does there need to be any more? I, I think so, right? Because, so there's there's this balancing act, right? Um, you can be highly, highly customized, right? And you and I were joking about how AI is coming up in pretty much every single conversation that we have these days. And, um, you know, in all seriousness, AI does allow for you to design a highly tailored experience for each consumer interaction, should you want it. But the balancing act is, you know, from a from a regulatory perspective, from a compliance perspective, from a consumer safety perspective, you need to really be in control of how you're interacting with consumers. You want to be fair in your debt collection practices. You want to be fair in your outreach methods. You want to make sure that what's being exchanged in the conversation is fully compliant. So, what we do in our business is we really focus on how do you how do you create that appropriate balance of compliant control messaging that's tailored, right? What are the types of variables you want to put into messages? What are the types of questions that we want to be able to respond to automatically? Like if I want to see another copy of my bill, yeah, sure, we can automate or facilitate that that return, right? If you want more information about a, a past balance or debt, um, or if you want just to be able to get, you know, into a conversation of, hey, you know what? I plan to pay this, but I want to pay this on the, on the last day of the month. Can you schedule this for then, right? Like those types of experiences mm-hmm. over different messaging 
uh, channels, I think is is the right level of customization versus you know free form or completely letting uh, a model like a uh, a large language model completely take over the the interaction. I don't think we're ready for quite yet. But the more engaging we are while being compliant, the more um, of a result we're going to draw in terms of faster um, and higher conversion rates for payments from consumers. I, th I is there also an element of consumers being increasingly more receptive to like advice? I don't call it advice, but at least um, push from the, from their financial institutions. Like I I actually like having a checking account, having a deposit account. Like I mean that's that's a commodity. But if you can tell me and help me live a better financial life, so that I don't have late payments, so that you know it it's aligned with sort of my 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 behaviors like I, I appreciate that you know yeah no i think so i think the consultative you know approach to driving consumer engagement is is the right approach and we're seeing it from our customers right so whether they be bank customers of ours or partners um or just billers um, or other types of agencies financial uh firms you know the more that they will consult with consumers about strategies managing their money or options to pay uh uh, a bill or setting up just automation, right? So at the, they can set it and forget it um, or pay via payment methods that are more conducive to their needs. Um, sometimes putting it on a credit card is, is more attractive to consumer and educating them or whether it's new payment methods that are coming out. Um, like we're starting to look more and more seriously at, at Venmo as an example mm -hmm. for a bill payment option. So the more that you're helping and consulting with consumer, um, I think is, is what drives, you know, more brand loyalty, more engagement, more results. Nick, in the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned, um, you know, younger customers or younger demographics being more open to this. Like, are you seeing that? Are there specific demographics or segments of consumers that are more responsive to text reminders for bill payments? Yeah, I think we saw with, you know, millennials all the way down to the more recent and more, the newer generations, just this high, high, not only propensity, but expectation that this is just going to be the way that they interact and transact. Mm -hmm. um, so we're absolutely seeing that, you know, and you, you can see it from different um, industries or verticals that we serve, you know, medical tends to be, uh, medical bills tend to be skewing towards older generations, um, but text, believe it or not, is really uh, taking on more proportion of uh, payments in the channel. Whereas, you know, cars, vehicles, mortgage, where you start to see earlier generations taking on their first home or their first vehicle, Text is absolutely just dominating over, you know, Bill or Direct as an example, where consumers, you know, go into a, a dealer and the dealer says, I need to see your pay stub, I need to see your tax return, maybe some other kind of uh, government ID. Consumer says, oh, you know what? I don't have it on me. Uh, and, the, and the dealer says, let me just text you so that, you know, later on you can take a picture of your home and just text it back to me. Like that is such an engaging experience that consumers, especially the younger generations, are completely comfortable with. Um, and I think it, I think it will apply more and more to uh, older generations um, because it's just less intimidating than logging into a website, as an example. What are some of the frictions or hurdles that uh, I know I asked you this in a different way earlier on, but that a financial institution might face in terms of rolling something like this out? Um, one of the things we discussed was it maybe going against the you know the the trend of building these rich experiences. But is there a technical issue? Is there expertise issue? Uh, so I think technically, I'll say this, you know, having worked in, you know, print mail and email billing and bill direct and aggregator for online bank uh, channels, technically, we're not talking about a whole lot of different, 
you know, steps, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the platforms from a tech perspective need to know who owes you, what they owe you, when they owe you, right? And some of the consumer contact information. So I think it's more around ensuring a few things. One is the complementary nature of the channel to your existing channels. So how does this, how does this um, augment, how does it support your online channel, right? How does this uh, support your call center, right? Um, and, and reduce call center volume by offering consumers the ability to text into an agent versus always call. And how do we train your agent? So, you know, making it making it complimentary training, just like in other channels. Um, compliance is a big thing, right? Compliance is probably the biggest uh, consideration to navigate because you again need to make sure that the messages um, are are conducive to regulatory requirements, both financial and other, um, like the mobile networks. Um, you need to make sure that. Um, not only the, the the tone of the messages, but the timing, for example, like you don't want to be setting up a program where you're texting Zach at, you know, 1 a.m. local when, you know, you're, you're you know, 3 p.m. Eastern. Like that's, right. those are things you want to avoid. So being thoughtful and in compliance is probably the number one thing that our customers look to us to help them navigate because the technology and the training uh, and, and how you complement your other channels is kind of run of the mill at this point. You know, banks, businesses have been adopting new technologies for decades at this point. Um, but what makes texting a bit unique is I think some of the compliance pieces, but also the opportunity for it to tie in and complement your other channels more so than you'll see in other other um, forms of correspondence or, or, or interaction with consumers. It's interesting as you say that, like, and I'm thinking about myself and my own behavior, like it almost feels like at this time we, we talked about app fatigue. My email inbox is a disaster. Um, it almost feels like text, it is quieter. I only give text to, really to people who I have direct relationships with. Yeah. How, how do we, is this just a channel that feels like it's open now? And how, how do we avoid overloading that channel to make sure that um, it doesn't become another one of those channels that I just, I'm overwhelmed with? Yeah. So uh, I'm going to get a bit nerdy here as it relates to uh, text technology and just the way it works. I'm still learning this being relatively new to the space, but I think the, the mobile networks, Verizon, T-Mobile, AT&T are doing a very good job when it comes to um, mm. policing the spam, right? And so you know, as a consumer, you're going to get text messages from sometimes short codes. We're called short codes, like those five to six digit numbers. Right. Um, the brands, the carrier networks do a great job of registering the entities that are sending messages over those short mm. codes to kind of keep down the noise, right? And um, governments from around the world are also involved in regulating um, what kind of activity um, can be sent across text, right? Um, certainly, um, you know, it's a bit easier to service a customer who's an existing customer and send a message through a carrier network than it is to market to a brand new consumer who is not quite clear how they opted into messaging. So opt-in is a very big thing in tech still. The brands uh, like the Verizon's T-Mobile, others are doing a great job of placing that and, and, and creating a framework by which we can contain the noise. Um, I think governments are going to continue to look at the space to ensure that messaging uh, remains less noisy and, and more um, just you know, catered to what the consumers want. And then long codes, which are the 10 digit numbers or depending on where you are in the world, um, you know, have a tendency to be a bit more, I'll call it spammy. Um, mm -hmm. But again, I think the, the the phone providers are doing a good job at enabling tools to block spam, enable opt-outs. Um, and I Way think better than the, than the email providers. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's a, it's a much more contained, I think, network. Than and closer to me personally, it's in my phone as opposed to this inbox that exists out there. You know, it's actually getting it, to me. 
it's very direct. It's yeah. very direct. So it, it, it almost has to be in order for it to survive. Um, and, and so that's why I think we're pleased to see how uh, the space is evolving with government and, and you know, provider uh, intervention and involvement. And I think we're also excited to see, personally for me, you know, we've talked a bit about super apps earlier, you know, will Facebook Messenger um, or some of these other social media platforms like Twitter, would that ever be a channel by which a bank wants to engage with their consumer? Um, because you know, if, if I'm on Twitter a couple hours a day, or if I'm, you know, on Facebook at night, you know, that may be a good option for me to build brand loyalty and consumer engagement. And I think those platforms are also navigating very, very similar rules and requirements for what kind of messages can be sent, how can consumers be opted in or opted out, um, and giving them optionality as it pertains to the frequency and the types of, of messages they receive. Very interesting. Nick, thanks for joining us on this Tear Sheet Live. Zach, it's been fantastic speaking with you and uh, looking forward to the next conversation. And thank you all for tuning in and uh, we'll call it a night.